going to just go ahead and give you the scripture of where we're headed, but it's John 16, 7, and it says this, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I'll read it again, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, last week, I started a two-part sermon uh, entitled Point of Origin. We affectionately call it poo. So we say, get the poo out, what, what the poo is going on there. Like, see, we, there's one thing we can all agree on. We all have thoughts, right? So this sermon should apply to everyone. If you don't have thoughts, I don't know what to say. But now I did discover, because I'm on TikTok and you get a lot, I mean, I know TikTok has a bad rap, I get that. But there's a lot of information, I'm always learning something. And I didn't realize that some people don't have an inner monologue. How do you live like that? Like, I constantly have an inner monologue going on. It's like my head is always talking, always talking, and some people don't have that going on. That must be amazing. Like, it's exhausting when you have so many thoughts. Like, as as a as an introspective person, there's always thoughts and like conversations are going on in your head. And you're you're thinking about something. You think about what you're going to say when you get there. And you're like it's always nonstop. And then when I heard that some people don't have that inner monologue, I was like, wow, what sweet rest that must be. Anyway, so we all have thoughts, and thoughts matter. See, the way you think often determines how you walk. See, your thought life determines your walk life. See, the devil wants to influence your mind so that he can undermine your ability to live in the fullness that God has purposed for you. See, we discovered last week that the enemy also has a purpose in mind for you. See, he, the enemy, would like to accomplish his purposes. He wants to take advantage of any situation Because when he takes advantage of you, he knows he can push down Jesus in you. He knows, the enemy knows your potential in Christ. See, we don't actually have a picture of that. We we sometimes get it, but it's so far off. But the enemy knows too well the word of God, and he knows what God has purpose for you. And see, he has determined for you to, to walk in that purpose, but the enemy, we, we, we read last week, also has a purpose, and he wants to snatch that away from you if you take the bait. See, he sets the trap. He wants to trigger you in a thought pattern. See, the thoughts that go on and on and on. There used to be, back in the day, you know, back in the 70s and 80s when they had tape cassettes. So anytime someone would say the enemy would play it like a, a record over and over, a tape over and over. Well, just think of it like a, a, an MP3 on repeat. It just goes over and over and over. See, your thoughts matter. Your thoughts influence your decisions. They influence your speech. They influence your behavior. See, often what you think comes out, but what you say sometimes isn't what you actually think, and you'll do the opposite of what you think you're saying. See, Scripture says that he is our accuser, the devil, the accuser. That's his name, that's his gift, that's his calling. He purposes to accuse you and blame you of everything. But see, the Bible we learned, he doesn't just do it one time. Actually, Scripture records in Revelation that he comes before the throne of God. But let me just tell you this. He doesn't have an all-access pass. God has to give him permission to come before his throne. So who's really in charge? 
See, the devil has to get permission before he comes before the throne. But when he does, it says he, day and night he accuses the brethren because he wants you to be guilty. Why? Because he wants a big party in hell. See, but hell was, was not created for you. Hell was created for the devil and his angels that were deceived. See, we talked about the, the witness that the enemy has. He falsely witnessed against God, convinced Adam and Eve. They believed the lie. They received the witness, and then sin entered the world. See, he's our accuser, and he's just looking for someone to agree with him. See, there is power in agreement. There is power in agreement. The Word says that. But there's, there's equal power when you agree with the wrong thing. See, there's not just power when you agree with something good. There's power when you agree with something that's not right. The battle starts when you first recognize a thought, an idea, a fantasy, whatever it might be as intrusive. See, you've got to distinguish that it shouldn't be in the first place. See, and that's when the battle thoughts. See, anything that causes disruption, you must be willing to recognize those thoughts aren't godly. What is their point of origin? Where are they coming from? If you look around in the culture today, this started in in the world, but it's crept into the church, and it's this thing of whatever you think is right, whatever you feel is right, it's right. That's your truth. See, that's the problem. See, the devil had his truth, and he convinced Adam and Eve of his truth over God's truth. See, your truth is the problem. We're truly in an age, and it's always been like this, but it's even more prevalent. We're in an age where right is wrong, and wrong is right. It's a perversion of the truth. See, but God isn't unaware of where we're headed, if you think he doesn't know where we're headed, because this, there's a very sobering warning in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4. Scripture says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate, gather, bring together, look for, accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance, not with the word, not with scripture, but in accordance with their own desires. Verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from truth and will turn aside to myths. Myths. What do you think that word means? Myths. What it boils down to at its most basic level, it means it's a lie posing as truth. See, that we, you've grown up with, with myths, a wives tell or a story of this happening or, or that happening. See, those are myths. It's not true. But what they're saying here is that there will come a day, and it, I believe it's already happening, and it's, it's been throughout the, the years, but it will just progressively get worse and worse and worse. See, people will turn away from truth because they don't want to be confronted with what they believe is their truth. See, God has a greater truth. But they will turn aside and they will accept, they will gather, they will, they will cling to a lie. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things. Oof, self-restraint, who wants to do that? Ugh, self-restraint. What I read, I, I discovered this in one scientific journal that said this about the brain. When you initially learn something, the pathway or the connection is weak. But, however... There's more. The more frequently you think a particular thought, the stronger the pathway becomes. 
forming an automatic habit, and this is what they call brain training. See, growing up, I had my brain trained because I was so full of rejection that all I would hear was rejection. So I, I carried around this heaviness of shame, condemnation. It's like I said last week, no one had to tell me I was doing anything wrong. I always knew I was wrong. I walked around heavy, like just bearing the burden of, of just shame and this guilt. I can remember a time in, uh, I think it was junior high, there was this girl, she was a bully. I'm telling you, she was a bully. And, I, and, I, and I'm walking around, and I had this habit of walking with my head down. I just naturally walked with my head down. I, like, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want anyone con- you know, to talk to me. I had sort of just, all, you know, just learned to go on the inside. So I'm, I'm walking, and all of a sudden she shouts out, and I, just hearing her voice, I just wanted to punch her, but you know, I wasn't going to punch her. She was a girl. So I'm just walking, and she's like, hey. I'm like, Yes. She's like, why are you always walking with your head down? And it hit me. I was like, oh, I really do. But then the answer was, because I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel clean enough. I don't feel right enough to do anything else. I just walked with my head down. You know, not, I always felt in the way. And so I just had accustomed a life to walking around with my head down. Now, after becoming saved and realizing that, that God can change that, see, I had to change the way I thought about that. See, even now today, I will walk like this, and I'll go, put your head up. So I'll just walk around with my head up. See, I've got to break even the habit of it. I just, I'd formed, the, the thoughts are no longer there, but the habit was still there. So I've, I, I'd gotten accustomed where, you know, if I'm walking now, if you see me now and I'm walking down, don't yell at me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm fine. I might just be thinking, you know, the, the monologue that's going on, and I'm, and I'm thinking, why are they doing that? Why, why are they standing like that? Why don't they, you know, there's things going on. So if I have my head down, but I honestly will think, oh, put your head up. Because it keys in me, don't put your head down. Don't align yourself with something that you know is not true. See, the, the thought would walk in, you, you shouldn't be in this room. Uh, if I would go into a room of people, and sometimes I do it if I don't know the room, but I will, I will be sort of, I will go inward because I don't feel the confidence that I need in order to like, you know, a lot of people can walk into a room and they own the room. Pastor Easy is one of those people. He can walk into a room because the man has the confidence of I don't know what. And like if I, if I was always like if I could just get 5% of that confidence, I'd be doing great. So if you walk into a room, it reminds me of even our thought life that if you walk into a room, and maybe this is just me, if you walk into a room that you don't think you're supposed to be in, say you open the door and there's a crowd of people and you're not supposed to be there, what, everything sort of your body changes you, you, you'll, you'll go inward, your eyes dash around, like maybe that's not, not you and that's great. If I was to walk in a room I'm not supposed to be in, the thought signals your body to respond. So you, 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 everything about your countenance changes, you, 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 you all of a sudden start to shrink back. See, our thoughts affect who we are. Our thoughts affect our walk life. Our thoughts really tell us who we are. We can confess with our mouth many things, but if you don't believe it, in your mind, there's not much power in what you're saying. Now, there is a time when you say it, because even if you don't think it, because you're getting your mind to agree with what you're saying. So there is a practice of you speaking until it, your mind agrees. But until your mind agrees, you are agreeing with the thought, even if you say it. Because if the thought still reigns supreme, it has authority. So let's look at, before we move on to the advocate, I just want to look at Exodus 20, 16. Exodus 20.16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, you may ask, what does bearing a false witness have anything to do with your thoughts? I'm so glad you asked, because I'm going to show you. We're going to go there. Oh, he's going to go there. I'm going to go there. 
Exodus 20, 16 says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. See, false witness means you testify falsely. The word testify also means bear, but it really, it, in this instance, it means to bear and to test, testify. See, this was such an offense to God that it made his top ten. Anybody know what his top ten is? Do you know what that's called? The Ten Commandments. I'm just kidding. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, that's fine. If you're newly here. If you're a leader here and you don't know the Ten Commandments. But you know what? Actually, on any given day, if someone asks me that, I might be like, I might get seven or eight of them and miss one or two. So I'll just shut my mouth before I get myself in trouble. No quizzes after. But see, this was such an offense to God that it made his top ten list. See, a false witness, according to the custom and the laws of the day, it was a serious offense. And if you were found to be a false witness, you were given the punishment equal to that which would have been given to the accused. Falsely accusing is a serious offense. See, because bearing a false witness actually indicts the heart of the man giving the false witness. It shows where their heart is. There's deceit in them. There's lies in them. There's evil in here. See, in Proverbs, it lists seven things that God hates. Now, before I move on, the, the word hates, I, I didn't like it. When I saw it, I thought, surely God hates nothing. And when you look at it, like, we won't get into semantics, but in the Hebrew, there was, uh, when they wrote this word hate, it was actually, the, you know, their customs were picture words. And the picture word for this hate is, was actually a thorn and a seed. So together, it was a thorn seed. So basically, what that is saying is it's anything that causes pain. And I realize that God hates anything because it causes you pain. See, that's what hate to God is. Anything that is less than him. See, everything he is showing us, the things that he doesn't like, the things he despises, he's really revealing his character and his nature. See, there is no darkness in him. There is no evil in him. He's not a man that he would lie. The Bible says he hates. Really, the reason he doesn't like it so strongly, it's not an emotional response. It's because of the fact that it harms you. See, that is the true character of God. He doesn't want anything that will cause devastation to you. He wants to relay his word, his truth, his nature. And his nature is the exact opposite of the adversary who always falsely accuses. See, while the words in Exodus are on how to treat your neighbor, they are just as much for you. Yes, we, see, we need to be careful of the words we say. We need to guard our tongues against speaking evil against others. That's a given. Let me just say this clear. I'm not saying it's not important. It's very important that we don't speak false words or negative words about someone else. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. But it's equally important that we don't bear a false witness, meaning it's equally important that we don't say a lie. See? It's not okay that you lie about what God is doing in you or the word of truth in you, but you think it's okay, okay, as long as I don't spread bad words about my neighbor, as long as I say positive things. But God is saying, no, 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 don't bear a false witness, don't bear a lie on the inside of you. Don't hold on to a lie that's not truth, because that lie will cause devastation in your heart. That lie will ruin you. That lie is not me. That lie you should push away from it. So don't carry a false witness. See, we're so used to carrying heavy weights that we don't even realize they're a burden to us. Much like growing up when I said I walked around with shame and guilt, I didn't realize what the the heaviness actually was. 
not until I got free from it did you actually feel lighter. Like, you just begin to walk clearer. Your thoughts are clearer. It reminds me of probably about, I don't know, maybe it was a month or so ago. Uh, I didn't ask Jen Hyatt for permission for this, but hopefully she doesn't mind. Uh, one Sunday, she uh, came up, and I, was, I had been preaching. I was praying for healing, and she just came up, and she said, would you pray for, I think you asked me to pray for her ankle, didn't you? Okay. So she said, pray for her ankle. She had had an injury, and forgive me at this moment, I can't recall what it was. She had a lot of trouble with her, her ankle. Uh, it was constantly hurting. She'd been to many doctors. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, it was just inflamed. She couldn't walk a lot. She was just, I mean, I think times of just crying, debilitating pain. So I began to just pray. Okay, let me just be honest with you. I don't know. It's not like I had the faith of, uh, of rise up in me. I just, was interesting though, is as I was praying for her, I felt something different. Like my words changed. And all of a sudden, when I, I just commanded healing in her ankle. Now, not knowing anything that happened at that time, just prayed for her. She left. About, you know, a few hours later, she's doing about her business, and she sends a text to us that God had healed her ankle. But what was interesting is the fact that she said she didn't even realize her ankle just felt lighter, that she didn't even realize the heaviness that was on her ankle. Because it would be that after walking, you know, probably to church and then to her car, it would begin to swell, it would begin to hurt. She would have to, you know, like put it up on something and rest it. But she didn't even realize that even with the, the fact that, that there was pain there, that there was discomfort there, there was swelling, that there was a heaviness or a burden on her ankle. But God lifted that burden, and all of a sudden, it felt lighter. See, that's what God wants to do to us. He wants to unburden us from our heaviness and bring lightness to us. Now, what does Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. See, here's the key. He's going to give you rest, but there's something you've got to do. He follows up with, I will give you rest, but, now, now, here's our part, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. You've got to take his yoke upon him, but that's not it. There's a second step. And learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then the famous one we quote all the time, but it probably don't walk in it. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many people want to truly quote this scripture and it be true for their lives? Yeah, come on. For my yoke is easy and my burden is. Do you want to be able to say this as your anthem of your life? I have taken his yoke upon me and it's easy and his burden is light. See, no, we're wrapped up in our heaviness. We're wrapped up in our disappointments. We're, ra we're wrapped up in whatever disapproval. We're wrapped up in the, in, in the heaviness. We're wrapped up in the failure. We're wrapped up in, in the, what we used to do. We're wrapped up in shame. We're wrapped up in guilt. We're wrapped up in condemnation. But God is saying, I want to wrap you in light. But the enemy wants to cloak you in heaviness. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, if we walk around bearing a false witness, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, bear, it means to carry. So if I walk around with it, it's always on me. I keep it with me. It's near me. It's on me. See, we're commonly here carrying one another's burdens. Carrying one another's burdens. And we can get a picture of what that looks like. If I'm carrying your burden, I take what's off of you and I put it onto me. 
we're holding the, the heaviness as our own. We're committing to securing that thing in our lives. See, it's a weight. It's something heavy. Bearing a false witness can really be summed up like this. To officially hold a lie. What are you bearing? What are you bearing? It's, it's, look, I'm not saying this so we can just breeze through today and get to next week. Like, I think all too often, and I'm guilty of it. I come to a service, I listen to the words, but I just listen, I don't hear. See, God is looking for transformation. The church was never supposed to just be a place that you come to to listen or to even lift your hands and pray. The church is supposed to be the, the equipping place, the place where you get transformed, the place where he brings change to you. If you're not transformed, where is the salvation? Where is the inner workings? Where is the transformation of the mind? See, the church has got to grow up. Because we bear a false witness and we pretend that it's truth and we cling to myths. And God is saying, let go of that myth. That is not me. That's just a fable. I'm not even like that. I'm not even in that. We have this religion that wants to speak to us and tell us, no, this is how God works. And this is only what he does. And when the disciples died, gifts died. Sorry, you can't be healed now. See, there's a lot of things that we get wrapped up in. And God is just saying, look, let go of the lie. Let go of the myth because I have so much more for you. See, a witness, when you think of a witness, you think of what? A testimony. A witness gives a testimony. Bill Johnson just jumps to mind that when he, when I first started hearing about this, I'd never really heard it described like this, and maybe it's the fact that I wasn't listening, and then all of a sudden it was Bill Johnson, I was listening. Because I realize sometimes we go through life not listening, and then someone we think, oh, they're really smart, and you start listening all of a sudden. So Bill Johnson, I'm just familiar with this, when he, he talked about testimony, he was saying that when we declare our testimony of what God has done in our lives, it allows for the opportunity for it to happen again. Why? Because the root word of testimony in Scripture actually has the meaning of repeat. Do it again. Circle, cycle, to reiterate. So knowing that when we share our testimony, it's a principle that gives the opportunity for it to occur again. Here's my question. Is that not the same for when our testimony is a negative testimony? Do you think a testimony can only be positive? So what are you testifying of today? See, a testimony is anything we repeat. What we say, what are you saying? See, I would repeat in my head, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. You've done awful things. God will never forgive you. You don't just never. I just, I, just, I, just, I just came and described how heavy I walked around. I had a grandmother one day. I think she called my, my mom, and she was like, look, I'm worried about Alan. I think he might harm himself. No, I'm not going to harm myself. But I just carried around such a heaviness that I didn't even know. I was just cloaked in heaviness. But I'm telling you what, you don't have to stay like that. All you got to do is decide it's not for you and it's not true. Look, I have lived a life that I would not even begin to tell some people because they couldn't handle it. I've had things done to me that I would not want to everyone to, to any ever go through. But I'm telling you, I am living proof standing here today that God can resurrect what you think is dead in your life. He will bring you to new places. He will do greater things than you ever thought possible. See, I thought I would never amount to anything. I had no plans for the future, but God came to me and said, no, son, I have plans and a future. And I didn't know what that was, but I just simply said yes to him. And I, let, I started casting down every thought, every imagination that spoke anything alternative to what he said. 
Now, I have Pastor Easy and Lena to thank for that. Because without them, I would be lost. I didn't know how to think. See, we need to bear witness with those things that God has said about us. Stop the rehearsing. Stop the testifying of things that the accuser has told you. Stop the false witness. But begin to be a witness for truth. Stop the false witness. See, you've got to silence the voice of the accuser in your head. You've got to silence the false witness that's always proclaiming that they're right and you're wrong. See, so how do you recognize the false witness? Well, let me just tell you this. The false witness always accuses you of what you have done. But the true witness speaks of who he is and what he has done for you. See, he tells you, the false witness tells you what you've done. You've got to pay a price for that. You've got, to, you, you've got to pay a price for that. But the true witness says who he is in you and what he has done for you. So when we carry a false witness, we're supporting it. The lie becomes a burden to us. It weighs us down. Without realizing, it causes us to become weary. It affects us. It affects our relationships with others. It affects how we see things, how we process things, how we communicate. See, it becomes heavy, and it it carries with it a burden, but God is wanting us to throw off the burden and not to yoke yourself that which is a lie. See, don't bear witness to the lies. What do I mean? To bear witness, to attest, affirm, prove, or show that what the enemy is saying is right. You've got to resist the lie or the witness of the enemy. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, John 16, 1 through 15. I know you're thinking, whoa, that's a lot of Scripture. Uh, Y'all can handle it. I mean, where else would we talk about Scripture yet in the church? It's like some people are like, well, you didn't put enough Scripture in that that sermon today. Well, I had 10 Scriptures. Someone say, whoa, you put way too much in there. I had three Scriptures that day. No, that's not me. I'm just saying things I've heard. Okay, no one has said that to me. I dare you to say it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe I'm not. John 16, 1 through 15. I just want to read all this so that you can kind of hear it in context. Context matters. Um, more and more as I've gotten older and I study things, I realize how many things are taken out of context. Well-meaning people, but a lot of things are just taken out of context. So John 16, 1 through 15, and I will begin reading now. These things I have spoken to you, so you will not be led into sin. They will ban you from the synagogue. Yet an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering a service to God. I just, when I read that, I just thought, that's these days. Now, it's not a literal killing, but they want to kill you and they want to crucify you because you believe the truth. See, they will think they're doing God's work. I'm doing God's work by tearing you down. The stance that you have on God's faithfulness or the stance you have on God's healing or the stance you have on, on him wanting you to be pure and holy like he is. See, there are those who will, will tear you down and want to harm you because you aren't being nice. And they have the love of God. And that, see, those things you're just doing because you're evil. See, there will come an hour when they will think they are doing something that God has asked them to do. It's such a perversion. Verse 3, these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. However, I did not say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now we get into the good stuff. Verse 5, but now 
I am going to him who sent me. We're going to stop right there. Y'all remember last week when I said that the, uh, the devil, the enemy, Lucifer, was he would go before the throne, and Revelation says day and night, accusing the brethren before the throne, day and night. Well, when I came to this part, I realized someone else is permanently there. See, remember, he accuses day and night, but now Jesus says what? He's going. Going where? He's going to be seated next to the Father. See, he's now at the right hand of the Father making intercession on behalf of us. See, we have someone in heaven in the courts before the judge. See, the devil may come night and day, but there stands one who is pure, who is righteous, who is holy, who is sinless. And that's who the Father sees when he looks at us. So there is Jesus standing in all of the glory that God has put upon him. And the devil comes and he accuses, he accuses. But Jesus went so he could sit at the right hand of the Father and say, they stand approved because they are a part of me. We're now in his glory. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Why does he have to say, I tell you the truth? Maybe because they would doubt it later, because they didn't know what was coming, but when, when it happens, he's trying to get them to remember. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage your advantage that i am leaving for if you do not if i do not leave the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and he will come he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment verse 9 regarding sin because they do not believe in me regarding righteousness because i am going to the father and you will no longer see me regarding judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at the present time. But he, the spirit of truth, comes. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose what is to come. It is to your, it is to our advantage that the Holy Spirit has been sent. Holy Spirit, the helper, where it says there, it's advocate. See, that's where it is. He's our advocate. He stands in the courts of heaven. He's advocating on behalf of you and I. He's saying, no, they're under the blood. No, they're under the blood. And the, and the devil is saying, no, but they're guilty of sin. They did this, they did that. And Jesus stands there with the blood, and he says, no, they're under the blood. No, they're under the blood. No, they're under the blood. But the devil wanted to go to him and say, no, but they've done this, and there's guilt and there's shame. They need to pay the price. And Jesus stands there saying, I've paid the price. And when God looks at the Son, he knows the price has been paid. And it is for once and for all. And he will wipe away the sins of this world. And so he can't help but look towards the Son and see that the blood of the Lamb is covered us all. It is to our advantage that he goes. Because there's someone who is coming who will be our advocate when the accuser comes. We have an advocate who will, be, who will speak in our behalf. We have a consoler. We have a helper. Holy Spirit in, in Greek means parakletos, meaning someone who comes alongside or is summoned to aid you. See, it's a lawyer that represents your case before the court. The accuser is the prosecutor. While the Holy Spirit is your defender. He is our defender. See, last week we read where we weren't to give advantage to the devil. And we see this same usage of the word advantage, but this time, different context. See, the devil takes the advantage. 
Here, the Holy Spirit gives you advantage. He gives you advantage. See, the accuser takes gain, and the advocate causes you to profit in all things. What do you profit in? Truth. The spirit of truth is sent. He comes. What do we profit in? We should profit in truth. If we're not profiting in truth, what do we need to do to see that that's happening? What is profiting in your life? What is profiting in your life? That's my question. What's profiting in your life? Negative things? Being weighed down? Being guilty? Full of shame? What are you profiting? God has given us the advantage that you would profit in truth. John 16, 8 and 10. I just want to read this again. I just want us to think a little differently. John 16, 8 through 10. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. Regarding righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you no longer are going to see me. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, I just want us to think about this. It talks about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, convicting the world. Here's my, here's my point. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of their sin. But what I want us to see is when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's a different type of conviction. See, one convicts out of condemnation, out of guilt, out of shame. One convicts us or tells us of our righteousness in Christ. See, a conviction leads you to a guilty verdict. There's shame attached to it. But when the Holy Spirit reveals something, it's so that the righteousness in Christ can be revealed to us. See, when he speaks, he doesn't condemn. He doesn't accuse us of anything. See, when the Holy Spirit shows you error or sin in your life, he doesn't from a different motivation. See, he doesn't condemn you. And here's how you know the difference. He says what you did is contrary to who you really are. See, he speaks to your new nature. Do you get that? It's just a different way of thinking about it. See, he speaks to you in righteousness. God always speaks to you who you are in him. And the accuser says, you are what you did. See, we need to see ourselves from his perspective. To see ourselves clothed in righteousness or right standing, not because of anything we've done, but because what was accomplished on the cross through his death and resurrection. See, rather than stand accused, we stand assured. We stand assured. So how do we break a false witness and how do we break false thoughts? We have a helper, the Holy Spirit will help us, but there are things we must do. See, now we have the advantage but we've got to use the tools that have been given to us, right? He says, you've got the advantage, but there's some things I need you to do so that you can be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So number one, we stay alert. We stay alert. Every thought that comes in our mind, we stay alert to every negative thought, to that condemning voice. We stay alert. So number one, we stay alert. Number two, we give no opportunity. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27 says this. Therefore, ridding yourselves, ridding yourselves, who's got to rid them? Who's the person has to rid themselves? That's a question. You, thank you. You, are, we, are you guys with me? Are you getting this? 
See, he, we give no opportunity. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, therefore ridding yourselves to falsehood. I get rid of it. I, do, I depart it. I throw it out. You rid yourselves of falsehood. But what? Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, the part right there, and then it says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Key, don't give him an opportunity. How do we give him an opportunity? by holding on to falsehoods or myths and lies. That part, angry there, doesn't give you a right to be angry. It just means you are coming from a settled position. It's already been settled in you, and you're going to defend your ground. Number three, submit and resist, James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That word resist means to declare your ground, stand your ground, and protect your ground. It's three things. Resist, declare your ground, stand your ground, protect your ground. So this is saying submit to God, resist the accuser, resist the devil, and the accuser will flee from you. But what else? Submit to God, resist accusing, and the accusing will flee from you. See, we've got to resist the accuser, but we've got to resist accusing as well. 1 John 5, 10 through 12. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe, God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Look at the word eternal. What is that? In the sweet by and by. I remember we used to sing it growing up. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all get to heaven. That's not eternal life. See, eternal life, when you look at it, actually means it's a quality of time, not a, not a quantity. See, when we accept Jesus, the eternal life of God becomes on the inside of us. See, it's, we are now living in eternal life. We don't live in eternal life once we get there. It's not a, it's not a time. It's a quality. And so once we uh, surrender our hearts to Jesus, the eternal life of God quickens inside our mortal bodies, and we are now eternal beings just living on this earth until we get to heaven, but you are to live the eternal life now. But the enemy wants you to live a defeated life. See, eternity is in you now. Once you accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior, eternity is then birthed on the inside of you, and you are to live in the eternal quality that God has called us to dwell in. See, but the enemy wants to bombard you with thoughts so that you're weighed down with heaviness and you never quite reach the potential that God has called us to. See, he wants us at low-level living, and God has called us to eternal life living. See, there's a higher plane. He wants us living where he dwells, not down there where, where the enemy wants to drag you down, but he is wanting to... To, let, to, to give you eternal life. That's the character and the nature of God. So, I have just have a couple questions when you, when you think about what's the thoughts. Here's my question. What's it producing? Look at the fruit. Is this thought producing faith or fear? If you don't know, ask someone you trust. See, surround yourself with an accountability partner because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So don't ask the person, hear this, don't ask the person that you think is going to agree with you. 
because it's the same as we surround ourselves with things that tickle our ears. Actually, get yourself with someone who will tell you the truth, even if that's not what you want to hear. See, God is wanting us to live in eternal life, to walk in the authority he's called us to. See, the voice of the accuser is three things, always shame, guilt, and condemnation. Somewhere in there, those three things are, 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 are there. But the advocate, it's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And I believe this is the key to a lot of it. There, there's a lot of things we can do, but this is the one that really, to me, just sort of sets it apart. John 15, 7, abide in me. See, so how do we overcome? John 15, 7 says, if you abide, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My final verse here, Philippians 4, 8. I'm sure a lot of you know it. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent and if anything worthy of praise, what? Think about these things. What are you dwelling on? What are you thinking on? See, whatever is consistent with God's words and his character, think upon those things. See, we have the power to entertain a thought or to reject a thought. I want to read Philippians 4 again in the, in the Passion Translation. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Stand to your feet with me. So this is the standard. Is this thought, when you have a thought, is this thought, it also applies to your speech, to your behavior. Is this honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? And finally, does this thought, action, behavior, speech, does this bring honor and glory to God? That's my question. What are your thoughts honoring are your thoughts honoring God? Are your thoughts honoring the devil? See, both, we've learned, have a plan for us. And the enemy wants to see his plan successful, but we have a way out. See, we are not without help. It's not just on us. He has sent the advocate, the helper, the consoler. See, he is with, he is with us. The Holy Spirit is here. And so we have the ability to overcome these thoughts that the enemy is giving to us because the price has been paid and that we have someone who is on our side. See, someone is in the courts of heaven, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, petitioning on our behalf. So, Father, I thank you. God, we just surrender our thought life to you. God, we think we know what we think, but the truth is we don't. Because some of our thoughts are so habitual, they happen so quickly. It, we just, it just seems like that's who we are. It's our nature. But God, we choose to wrestle with our thoughts. We take every thought captive and we surrender it down to you. God, I thank you, Lord, 
that even in my life, when things begin, when I recognize that thoughts were not of you, I begin to tear other lies down. I begin to tear down other lies. God, I thank you that the lie, every stronghold of every lie may be torn down. See, just quickly, I, wanna, I just want to say sometimes we focus on one issue, but if we would deal with other little lies, it gives the, the main lie no support, and it will come tumbling down. See, that's how you tear down strongholds, and, and when, it, when it, it's built upon this lie and that lie and that lie, and we, when we give the lie, when we give the, the main lie no support, it has no standing, and so we just begin to tear those things down. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we choose today, we want to walk in alignment and agreement with your word. God, I don't want to bear a false witness against you. I don't want to bear a false witness against my neighbor. I don't want to bear a false witness against the world. God, the Christians are confusing the world because we talk out of both sides of our mouth. There's no power. There's no authority in us because we have been, we, we've, we've, we've just gotten deluded, God. And so I thank you, Lord, that you are setting things right. We just call out for your order in our minds, God. We thank you that you will renew our thoughts. God, we just, we position ourselves to listen to your voice, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you want to purge us of all things that are a lie. Every myth, God, you want to purge us of, of the lies, of the myths. God, we just we break agreement with the enemy who is saying those things to us that will never succeed, will never be healed, will never walk again, will never see clearly, will we'll never hear your voice. Uh, we'll, I'm never a good spouse. I, I'm not a good parent. You did that wrong. I did that wrong. You're, they're going to grow up just like you. I just I dismantle the lie of the enemy, and I thank you that your blood covers, and I thank you, Lord, that you paid the price. And so we see ourselves in righteousness. We see ourselves crowned in glory because you are inside of us. God, and I thank you, Lord, you are leading us from glory to glory to glory. So I thank you, Lord, that we are not without help. We're not alone. God, you are with us. You are in us. And Lord, we just resist first. We give the devil no opportunity. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the tools to think clearly. So Father, do a work in our hearts, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to expose every lie within us. Let there be no darkness within us. Let us not agree with a lie, God. Let us not pretend anymore, God. But Lord, we just settle in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Can I just ask those? I just want to pray quickly. If there's any agreement in you, if there's anything that the enemy is lying to you about, we've just got to, as a church, drop our pride and start thinking that because, oh, I think it's, it's, not, a, it's not a condemnation. There's no shame in it. You're just thinking, I was, I've been thinking wrong. I just want you to lift your hand because I'm going to be first. I'm going to lift my hand. Anyone in here need prayer? Father, I just thank you, Lord, you see every hand that is raised, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are able to set them free from every lie of the devil. I thank you, Lord, that the evil one is exposed, the lie is exposed, the accuser is exposed, and now we just release the advocate to go to that place to defend us. And as we begin to defend with him, we thank you, Lord, that we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Lord, how do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So let our testimony testimony be a true testimony that we are not a false witness God we are not saying lies God but we are witnessing the truth and we are speaking the truth in our hearts and in our minds and we agree with your words God and we thank you Lord for a new foundation being set in our lives God we thank you Lord we thank you Lord that you are setting us free God every stronghold be broken every lie be exposed we give you permission God to continue to expose the lie 
to continue to do your work. Speak truth, God. Where we have ignored you, God, speak truth. Where we have pushed you out, God. Where we have continually said, not, no, no, not there, not there. And when the Holy Spirit says, that's not good for you, we continue to ignore him. But I say again, Lord, speak even louder, God. We, we commit, God, we recommit to letting you speak to us in the places we've resisted, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you are faithful to answer when we cry, God. You are faithful to respond when we ask, God. So I thank you, Lord, that freedom now begins to come in every area for us to truly walk in your counsel. And so I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you permission just to continue, just to continue throughout the days. God, let us not hurry in our minds, but let us just think upon the things that you want us to think. What is pure, what is right, what is lovely, what is honorable, and what brings glory and honor to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And the congregation shouts, amen. Amen. So be it, amen. Amen. So be it, amen. Amen. amen.